we don't discuss. Candid conversations about the things we're told we can't talk about in business. From what it feels like to be the only one in the room to finally getting a seat at the table, navigating business while Black and woman can be professionally challenging, but personally rewarding. Join us for insightful interviews that validate that what we often feel, sense, and experience is real. Armed with these success stories, we can be better equipped to shatter glass ceilings and break through cement walls with authenticity. I'm telling. 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 If you have ever been the only one in the room, the department, maybe in your entire company, you know that the pressure, the isolation, the lack of representation can sometimes feel daunting, but it should never feel defining. Today, I am joined by Lynn Epps, a Chief Encouragement Officer, I love that title, and Higher Ed Leader. Lynn is going to share some of the pain, but more importantly, the perseverance we can build when being the only one in less diverse workforce spaces is our daily reality. Many of us can relate to that. This episode is brought to you by Little Drummer Boy Recordings, bringing all of your podcasts audiobook, and recording needs to life. And also by Home Studio Tutor, teaching digital music creation and entrepreneurship to the world. I was in the fifth grade, and for most of my elementary school years, middle school years, and even my freshman year in high school, I attended private schools, um, my mother's attempt to make sure that I got a solid education. And for most of those years, I was the only, right? So um, there were either one or two black students, African-American students. Um, and in fifth grade in particular, I was the only female, if I recall correctly. And so one trip that we had, I was in a choir. And so our choir um, it was a very a sort of conservative, traditional, evangelical type of school. You can imagine years ago. And we were visiting a school. We were going to sing in the choir. We were. It was an evening concert. We're on the bus. And the, the guy started teasing me because of the color of my skin being chocolate, dark chocolate, brown. Um, actually they didn't say dark chocolate brown. They called, they said Hershey's, you're, you're Hershey's. Right. And so at the time though, that's the, it was, came across as a derogatory term. Now we think of, you know, chocolate as sensuous and sexy and all that, but in fifth grade, it doesn't sound like that. Right. In fifth grade in the, must've been the what late seventies, early seventies, it didn't sound like that. It sounded like, um, pain um, isolation and criticism, right? And I didn't know really how to deal with it, how to manage manage with it. So went to the concert and did the song and came back home. And interestingly enough, I'm, I, today was the first day I thought about this that experience in years, but it was a painful experience. And so that was sort of the beginning of when I look back, um, numerous instances where I was the only one or the only woman of color, not obviously not all the time, but in definitely in certain circumstances, um, that has been my, my station several, 
times throughout my life. Our guest today is Lynn Epps. Lynn, thank you for thank you for joining us on things we don't discuss, and thank you for sharing for sharing your story. It's it's interesting that as as you are reliving that moment, um, it's clear that you traveled back, right? You journeyed back. You were you were there, and and that pain registered all over again. Though clearly, clearly, you've done a thing or two. You've moved. You've moved past that um, in really large ways. But I I think you are speaking to uh, what happens in those moments. There's something sticky about them. Something that really remains with us. Um, and something that I think today we get to explore together and hopefully on earth, because we know that being the one and only, the only one is usually not a singular thing, right? There, there's a community of us that have experienced what you have experienced. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me, Uba. All right. So we've been thinking about this, talking about it, about this, and, and we're finally here. Um, tell us, Lynn, about Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know how great you are, but tell the world about Lynn Epps. What do you do? Where do you work? What does your daily routine look like? Okay, first let me start with, and you may edit this out, but I hope not, that um, Lynn Epps is grateful. Like, I'm grateful for friends like you. I'm grateful to see your journey and to, and to be able to join you on this journey. And so I'm so proud of you and I'm so grateful to be able to be here with you. And I'm so proud of you. Okay. So, BGM tears. BGM <laughs> tears. So, Thank you. Um, so who am I? <sighs> so I'm a wife, a mother, a friend. Um, mm-hmm. I work in higher education, senior associate director in uh, a career center. Uh, my background is in talent acquisition, nonprofit. Um, ultimately, though, I thought of thought about this before. So I think one of the Keywords that I would use to describe me, a couple of keywords actually, um, as a connector, right? So I love hearing about opportunities and meeting people and then connecting and creating those points of connection or facilitating connection. And a lot of the work that I've done with all of the different universities that I've worked with, even in the corporate work that I've done or nonprofit, it all really is about making connections and helping facilitate connections. That and then leadership and leading teams and serving teams. Passionate about it, love it. I love that I get to do that every day. So, and I've called myself, and you've heard me say this obviously before, uh, chief encouragement officer, right? Ah, I'd like to be- Wait, say that again. (laughs) We need to put that on a business card. It is on my website. So (laughs) chief encouragement officer. Uh I think a part of one of the the reasons that I was put on this earth Mm -hmm. um, is to encourage and support others in their dreams and their aspirations and in their goals. And so that's the work that you do on a daily basis for students. I've seen you do it. I'm a witness. I'm a believer. Uh, and now you get to do it with your team as well. Um, what does what does your workplace look like? Is it are we still the only ones? Are you is Lynn still having that same moment on a daily basis or has that changed for you? It has changed incrementally. Mm-hmm. Right. So the the institution that I'm at now, um, we are. Um, not as diverse as we could be, but we're more diverse than we were, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, so there's definitely, there are definitely opportunities to grow um, in terms of diversity and inclusion in, in that space. Um, if I were to be a little bit more specific in my unit, you know, sort of within 
the division that I work within, um, we are we're actually not that diverse. We have, we're, we're working on it. We're working on it. Um, the great thing that I will say, though, is that I have a director who is committed. Um, and I think that is one of the most important um, things that support diversity and inclusion efforts is if your leadership gets it. You don't have to convince them. Um, you don't have to beg or plead or, you know, and he gets it. And so I think that that actually lifts a lot of the weight. But again, we're one unit in a, in a larger institution. And so, you know, you have the pockets of people who are champions and they're going to get out there and make sure that we have all of those connections. And then you have people who don't. Right. <laughs> so. Right. And so this work that you do um, of connecting people, of leading people, it's work that matters. I know it's your ministry in, in many ways. Um, what's the, what are the challenges of doing that kind of work when you step into a space where, yes, you have leadership that supports you? Uh, and to your point, that's, that's a great opportunity. We don't all have that. Um, you and I have, have shared stories about how important that is and how fortunate we are to be in that space. Um, so, so it starts at the top and, and in your situation, you have some of that. Um, but then there's you, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There is you and how you lead and how you manage and how you show up in a place where the dominant culture is, um, is not necessarily yours, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens when Lynn Epps shows up in a room, in a meeting, in a boardroom, uh, in a situation where your voice um, should matter? So that's an interesting question. So I would say one, I can give you a couple of examples of what that looks like, because I think it's very different okay. based upon sort of the audience, the audience that you're working with. Mm -hmm. And so one example at an institution, not necessarily this institution that I worked at. Um, so I was uh, asked to present to the board of trustees. I worked for three different institute, four different nonprofit institutions, right? Mm -hmm. So for a couple of them, I've been given the opportunity or asked to present to the board of trustees. And of course, you know, when we go into those meetings in those spaces, we have to, you know, our vernacular has to work a certain way or sound a certain way. So we might we, code switch a little we bit. We might code switch just a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I probably did my fair share of that at that trustee sure. meeting. And so it was interesting. Um, actually, it wasn't even a trustee meeting. It was actually a meeting where there were some government officials in the, in the, in the space. It, that wasn't it. They were in the space. And then one of the senior vice presidents afterwards. Oh, no. Here it comes. He didn't say it. Yes, he said it. He didn't it. say it. He didn't. Okay, Lynn, say it. You were so articulate. Ah, there it is. You did a wonderful presentation. Now, mind you, <laughs> of course, and I did that. You didn't say that to anybody else in the room, mm -hmm. any of the other presenters. Right. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, we've heard it before, been there, done that. Um, so that was one particular instance. Um, but wait, before we move past that instance. Mm -hmm. How did you handle that in the moment? Thank you. Mm -hmm. So there was a, you're smiling as you say this, there was, there was the smile, right? Mm -hmm, the thing mm -hmm, that we do. Mm -hmm. But what did it feel like? I mean, I think, you know, here we go. Here we go again. Mm -hmm. um, and 
that's all I, at this point. I think it's really, it was like, here we go again. And I think afterwards, this was a couple of years ago. Afterwards, of course, I come back and I talk to people in my safe space sure. to share it because you can't tell everybody that story, you know, wherever you work. Right, right. So I share, share my story. And they're like, yes, girl, we know. Yeah. You know, we all, we know this scenario and then you move on. Right. And for the record, your articulate is, is not a compliment, right? Because at a baseline. It, That's what I should be doing. You you ought to be doing that. <laughs> and I think to your point, it's funny that it's not a compliment people give to others. There's, there's something about a black woman, uh, a person of color, man or woman, speaking intelligently that conjures up something in some people that, that, that makes them feel compelled to give us that what they believe is that compliment. You are so, and you brace yourself when you see it right. coming and right. then, and then it drops. Know. There it is. There it is. So, and we've learned how to deal with that. And do you think, like, I think that and I'm just being, I'm literally just thinking out loud here. Please. Sir. That, you know, for you to think that means that you have thought something else, right? So for you to think that I'm articulate means that you assumed that I wasn't going to be. Your expectation was somewhere else. Correct. Your expectation was was beneath me. And as it often happens, you will hear where what people really think. Just mm-hmm. give them just enough time to talk. Right. So you were articulate. <laughs> you were articulate. But see, here's here's the beauty of of this conversation. You mentioned that after that happened, you went to your safe space and you had that discussion with your people, right? We all need our people. We need our community. Hopefully what we're building here is exactly that community, safe space, and opportunity for us to have these conversations. Uh, And while we know we can relate, we've heard it, we've felt it, I think what's also important is for these conversations to leave our safe spaces and land uh, land on the ears, in the ears of people who need to hear the message so that the next time they might feel compelled to give us that quote unquote compliment, you know, they might take a step back and rethink exactly what you said. What is the expectation that I have of this person uh, that that um, makes me believe that that is complimentary? Um, now, if you're saying that to everyone, right? Now, here's the thing: people may not know this about you just yet, but you are an you're an amazing speaker, right? I've heard you speak. I've I've seen you do your work, and so that compliment um, that can be a compliment in certain settings, but there is a um, it's prickly. It is prickly, and often I think we hear it at the wrong time. If I'm in your boardroom presenting. Dear government officials, the compliment that ought to come my way when I'm done, when I've killed it, when I've done my thing, should not be. You're so articulate, right? When you're talking to, when there's four other presenters that you haven't said anything to. Or, you know, it looks a little bit different. You shake their hand. Great job. Great job. Right, right, right. But anyway, um, as you can tell, I'm a little bit passionate about this articulate thing, but we're going to move on. So... Um, that was some time ago, and yet it's an example of something that I'm sure you've experienced several times, right? You are going back to your workplace. You are the only one. What else happens when, when Lynn shows up? 
in in the workplace mm-hmm. or in the workplace or in spaces that are workplace adjacent, right? Places that I think are where you have been provided space or invited uh, because because of of what you do. So I think something that happened recently, mm-hmm. as recent as of just a few months ago, um, when I was in Germany and. I was invited back to Germany. I, I received a Fulbright a couple of years ago. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're not just going to gloss over that one. So not only did you go back to Germany, that didn't slip, right? That didn't slip. Um, but in addition to that, you were a what? Fulbright All scholar. Right. All right, I'm just, you know, underlining. <laughs> Fulbright scholar, I think, it was, it was, I think it was in 2015, 2015, 2016. And so, and it was a unique program for um, administrators Mm -hmm. that work in higher ed with the international student population at the time, I was really overseeing and working with um, my team in the Career Center, but also working with the College of Engineering, uh, lots of international students. And so long story short, I applied for the program and was accepted. And we did sort of a three-week immersion into the higher education system, civil visits, government uh, meetings with government officials, all that. So through the Fulbright program, the whole program is designed to um, create communities and connections across cultures, essentially. Right. It's an amazing program. So it, it definitely is. So and and highly recommend that people go on the website and apply because they are definitely looking for people of color to apply to the program. So. Excellent. Went to the program and spent time in Germany and in France. And then that was a couple of years ago. And then last summer, I was invited back to go and serve on a panel um, to, uh, invited by the Fulbright Commission, the German-American Fulbright Commission. And the conference was hosted by the German-American Fulbright Commission, the British Education Council, the Canadian Embassy, and um, DAAD, which I believe is the equivalent sort of the education, Department of Education for Germany. And so each of those organizations invited one speaker in to serve on the panel. And I was the invited panelist for the German-American Fulbright Commission. I'm going to be your hype man for a second. How many people were they able to invite, Lynn? There were four. Mm-hmm. Um, so one came from Poland. She mm-hmm. was an expert in what's called the, in the Bologna process. The other... Two panelists were from Canada and the UK, and then I was representing the U.S. higher education system. Oh, the whole, the whole U.S. Yes, and University of that of Delaware, there I was working. So mm-hmm. where I am working. So the um, the we went in November. They you know flew us all there, and the evening before they hosted the small group of the panelists for a dinner, and then they gave us our instructions for the following day. So this conference was a one-day conference, and it was attended by educators in the German higher education system from across Germany, and there were about maybe 100 100 to 150 people. Mm -hmm. I'm horrible with numbers and (laughs) estimation, but anyway, it it was a small conference. And so the instructions that they gave us, the not during dinner was come to the embassy. It was held at the Canadian embassy. You can come to the embassy at 1 p.m. We'll have a light lunch for you as a panelist and some of the host, um, the people who were hosting the event. 
And then the conference starts, I guess it was an hour later. So come early and get settled and have lunch, and then we'll start the conference. So I, the next day, I go to the conference. I'm ready. I'm prepared. I'm nervous. I'm scared. <laughs> and um, it was freezing out there. So I walk from the hotel to the Canadian embassy, which was not even a block away. I get to the embassy door. And there's a guard outside the door and the guard says, you know, how can I help you? I said, well, I'm here to speak at the conference. And, and he said, so who are you? I said, well, I'm here as a panelist to speak for the conference. It was, it was literally 10 minutes to one. So you got there a little bit early, a little bit early. Right. So he says to me, well, I can't let you in yet until one o'clock. I said, uh, in my mind, and I'm looking at because again, I'm in a completely different culture. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe they want you right at the you know the time, but in my heart, I knew what was happening. Right. And so I looked at I, I did a double take. Like I looked at him. I looked at my my watch, knowing that it was you know ten minutes till. Mm-hmm. And not only that, it was like thirty. It was twenty degrees outside, freezing. So he says. You can come back. Mm. So I turn a walk, turn around. I'm livid because I know what's going on right now. But again, mm-hmm. I'm in a foreign country. I don't hardly speak the. I don't speak the language, and I'm here to present. So I can't get elevated and emotional, and sure. you know. So I walk out and I pull my phone out, right? Like I pull my phone, like I'm about to call somebody. <laughs> I know I'm not calling anybody. You're getting ready to call the I'm village. I'm call, but. I know, and I know he can see me. Uh-huh. So I do it on, I do, I'm pro- kind of intentional, like, don't try to play me, you know, <laughs> as I stand out in the cold. Mm-hmm. So I wait maybe five or seven minutes. I started to walk back, and then I'm, I'm not walking all the way back, walk back. By this time, it's one o'clock. So then he, he I, get, I get there at the one o'clock hour, and he just, oh, you're welcome, welcome, just opens, opens the door. But of course, when I go in, there's at least seven to eight people from the committee and the pe- people panelists there. So they were allowed to go. They in. were allowed to go in mm-hmm. the host. And I and so now I'm really mad mm-hmm. because I know exactly what happened and I know exactly why he didn't let me let me in. Um, and again, I'm also thinking, man, I, I have to pull it together. Because now I have to sit on this panel in in a few minutes and present and present well. So, and I've said this before, when I was telling the story before, and I did what, did what we do. I shake it off, mm. pull it together, put your game face on and make it happen. So... And I didn't even, I, I haven't even talked to the, any, I mean, at this point, I'm like, who am I going to say? What am I, what am I going to, who do I talk to? Do I say something? You right. know, what, and I, I just didn't really do anything with it that evening when I went, you know, back to the hotel room, I processed it a little bit. Um, and even when I was telling the story, because it was really a wonderful trip in general, mm-hmm. when I was processing and telling people when I got back to the office, I didn't even share that part of the story with everyone because I don't think it was necessary, number one, but the few people that I did share it with completely understood. Not surprising. Mm-hmm. Not surprising. 
Um, one, I'm sorry that happened. Uh, that matters. Um, and it's, it's beyond unfortunate. It's not okay. Um, two, I want to just probe a little bit about what you said, which was it wasn't necessary. You shared it with some people, but with others, it wasn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't necessary. Tell me more about that. How do you make that distinction? Why is this the story that we, you um, might hold on to or hold back from certain people, um, but share with others? So I think quite honestly, like it was, that was a, it was a, it was a tough experience. Like I don't recall anything that direct mm-hmm. happening in the mo- in recent years in my you know professional career. So it was very disheartening and so and you don't share that, you know, those things with everybody and everybody's not mm-hmm. a safe space for that. So that's probably the main reason why and there were some people that I felt like if I have to do more explaining Right. Of, you know, well, this is why this is not right. Like, if you know, people don't get it. You have to do all. Well, this this is what this means. I don't have time for that. Right. And it's, <laughs> so, it almost becomes a situation where sometimes you then have to defend. Justify. Exactly. Right. And I didn't want to do it. that. Mm-hmm. And, and some people, it's not even that. I think they would have gotten it. Mm-hmm. But I just don't want to keep. I didn't want to keep repeating, 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 repeating. Like it happened. Mm-hmm. I moved on. Represented and. You know, um, there's nothing that I can do to go back and change it. And so I needed to get it out and and move on. So what's interesting about being the only one is um, it's that's isolating right in the moment. That's isolating. And the beauty, I think, of of many of us is we figure out ways of building communities and those safe spaces so that when we when we exit those isolating spaces, we still have an opportunity to um, share our story and be affirmed and be supported and be lifted all over again so we can go back out and do the work uh, that we do that's required. Um, but on the flip side, right? So, so being the only one is tough. Uh, and it's one of the reasons we wanted to talk about that um, on this podcast, because I don't know that th- those stories um, get enough air and light. And I think that matters, especially if you take yourself back 20 and 30 years and you were just getting started. I don't know about you, but no one told me in the very beginning, um, I always share my my parents were um, did not have the opportunity to have a formal education, though they're both brilliant beings um, and were educated in other ways. Uh, So they didn't have the tools to give me, right? They couldn't sit me down um, and talk to me about what it would look like and feel like to journey into these professional spaces and not just from time to time, but quite often be the only one, right? So those weren't conversations we had at the kitchen table. but having said that, Lynn, there's the upside, right? There is an upside to, um, to being us. Uh, I hope so. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I <laughs> sure hope so. Uh, I know you've had some of those experiences as well. And while we never, I, I know I never want to walk into a space and be the only one. I want to look around and, you know, connect. You know how you look around the room and you do, I call it the identity scan where you see somebody, you're like, that's right, I see you, right? We don't even have to say anything. We just look at each other and we affirm each other. And of course, a nod comes in somewhere along the line, right? <laughs> exactly. The nod, a smile. Absolutely. 
And and we're just in our own way saying, I see you, right? I see you. And that's that's uplifting. When I think about our journey, I think we often, I know I often focus on the tough part of it, mm-hmm. right? The heavy lift, especially when, when I have those moments that challenge my identity. Um, that's the tough part. But there are other times when I know I'm walking into a space. Uh, for instance, I... Uh, frequently have to speak to students in classrooms or um, in certain spaces where I may be the only person of color they have seen in a really, really, really long time. And it's like I'm a meal all of a sudden because they just look like I've been hungry for this, right? And so I know that when I walk into those spaces, I carry a certain kind of responsibility. Um, And that just kind of gets into my bloodstream and motivates me in a way that no other space can. So what does it do for you? What do you do with that? Um, that's the upside of it. So I think one one example might be, so we host a couple, a series of events each year um, supporting students of color. And so, yes, uh, the, we don't have a, a very large, you know, enrollment of students of color. And you can come on campus sometimes and it's for every 15 people you might see a person of color, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever the ratio is. Mm -hmm. But when we have events like our dining etiquette dinner, right, our diversity dining etiquette dinner, and we get to welcome 150 black and brown students into a space with a formal dining area, dining full three course meal and look at them and, and share with them and see the hope and the they are very thirsty for connection and even you know those are exciting times so those are um the times that energize that energize me and an interesting this might be another a flip i might flip this a little bit so if this doesn't work then you know mm-hmm. what to do That's okay. <laughs> but so i used to do a lot of one on one and individual um career coaching Um, with all types of students and in many cases international students and so there are certain populations that um, you know they would come for coaching and um, and especially I was coaching around the engineering and technology space and certain international student populations Mm -hmm. they walk in and you know they already think well what do you know Uh, mm -hmm. she doesn't know enough to help you know there's you you we all know what it looks like when people are um, marginalized or or um, diminish Mm -hmm. your your capability because of outward appearance and so after talking with them or coaching with them and going through their information and they realize wait a minute she can help me Um, And you see you can literally see when the light bulb goes on and they switch from being the um, looking at stereotypes or having that bias lens. And we're human beings here and and you can help me and and I can learn from you. Um, It's a really interesting dynamic to see because. Oftentimes, I don't know that I don't know if there's any other race that has to deal with this, but I think sometimes we in those being the only ones or being representing our just living our lives. We tend to be the ones that represent the whole race. Like I rep, we represent all black women. No, I don't. Mm-hmm. But we carry that burden in a lot of spaces. 
And so on the flip side, when they get it, and in my mind, I'm like, yeah, there's like a thousands of me all over the <laughs> sure. Thousands of us everywhere. Yes, we do know what we're talking about. And then they end up referring their friends. And then you have the PhD chemistry students sending thank you notes, you know, because you've helped them in their career and they're referring friends. And so you're breaking down some of those stereotypes and just false sort of expectations or false beliefs around other people. So those are actually pretty interesting times too. <laughs> yeah, the good moments when you get to chip away at some mm-hmm. of those challenges. Lynn, as, as we're getting ready to wrap up our time together, although I think this could be like a part one, two, three, four, this could be a whole series just with you and just with this topic. But if you had an opportunity to sit with our friends in human resources, whom I, I just, I love, those are usually my partners uh, in, in the work that I do, and I, I'm sure in the work that you do as well. Um, they, they carry a heavy load, right? They carry a really heavy load. Absolutely. And I think the best of them do it exceptionally well and do it with an inclusive lens. If you could have a sober and honest conversation with somebody in human resources, somebody in in talent, somebody who's really thinking about diversity for an organization, whether it's higher ed or not, what's the off the record, what's the one nugget of advice uh, that you would give um, those practitioners uh, who may not be as aware? The beauty of it is usually they're, they're rooted in this work, right? But sometimes, you know, there are a few things they're not privy to, uh, a few things that we hold on to. What's the thing you would tell them to keep an eye on, to consider, to think about, to make spaces um, for the only one, right? When they hire that new person and that new person's going to be the only one in that unit, that department, that area, that campus, what would you tell them to keep in mind? Say a couple of things. You can say a couple. Of, you, <laughs> so, you got things to say. Yeah, you can say a few things. Well, I think that the 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 first thing that I would there are a couple of things that I would say actually for mm-hmm. HR. One would be always whatever your initiatives are, um, always have buy-in from the top, right? From your seat, from the president on down, from the board of trustees on down. And I say I'm saying this for there are a couple of like it start. I feel like it starts there. And then you have the resources to build in the infrastructure to support whether it's one or a hundred across multiple units. Because I think a lot of times what happens is even if you hire one in a department, there are multiple, there are people other places. And so how do you create the safe spaces for the people on in various units to get together and to connect, communicate, have camaraderie Um, and then listen I don't think we do, and I'm at the top of the list, enough listening to really hear um, and find out what is the need. We do a lot of prescriptive trying to tell and answer problems that we may not even know exactly what the real problem is, right? So I think we need to listen more. Um, And then last thing is there are people, I'm sure, who are getting it right. Check in with them and see what they're doing. Check out those best practices. Excellent. Uh, You are a best practice in my book as a model of what leadership looks like, of what um, navigating business while black and woman and fabulous and smart and brilliant and all those things uh, might look like. So I really do appreciate you uh, sharing your story with us. 
um, and giving us some things to think about, uh, to reflect on, uh, and to remember that we are, though it may feel like we are the only ones, we are never alone. So we're going to finish this off with a little rapid fire. I have a few questions, Lynn. We're going to need a one word, a one sentence, really quick. A um, couple questions for you. Number one, favorite book? The Bible. Ah, ah, excellent. And now a favorite book that has helped you navigate business. It might still be the Bible, so maybe yeah. the Bible and. <laughs> um, so there's a book by Jim Collins called Good to Great. And so while it's about organizations and organizations that have, um, you know, historically and consistently done well, it is peppered with best practices and things that we can apply to our everyday lives. So I would think that that's probably one of the key books that has been instrumental. I haven't read it in a long time, but the, the principles still ring true and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know the microaggressions are real and they're heavy. I think Michelle Obama calls them paper cuts, right? So they sting a little, then they sting a lot. Um, and it feels sometimes like you're, you're hemorrhaging, right? Um, but whether you experience uh, those daily assaults or not, Tell me how you find ways of replenishing, of kind of pouring into yourself so that you can bandage up those cuts and keep going. Do, and doing what you said you did at that panel, right? In the middle of feeling that, that microaggression that probably didn't feel so micro, right, so tiny, you still washed it off and got back on that stage and you harnessed your excellence. So... How do you do that? So I think a couple of ways. Can I do this is more than a one word answer? For the replenishing because okay. we all need it. We can, we can do a few of those. Okay. So I think if I were to speak in general, I think it's just like you're asking. Everyone has to find what works for them, right? So for some people, it might be exercise. For some people, it might be a hobby. For me, reading is how I replenish reading, walking. And so me taking some time to be introspective is really, really the older I get, the more I need to do it. The other thing that is so super critical is having that core group of friends like you who I can call <laughs> and vent to or cry with or um, someone just to listen, not always even giving you answers, just listening. So those were those are some of the key things that I think are important in terms of replenishing and just being honest. Like if it hurts, it hurts, mm -hmm. and it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Favorite quote: the thing that just gives you life. I am a quote aholic, so <laughs> I have to come up with something <laughs> that is. So uh, this is something I will say right now that's been giving me life. It's a quote that sort of has that's a theme that I've been sort of ruminating and, and thinking about is um, be curious, be more interested than interesting. More interested than interesting. Mm -hmm. So the concept of just 
continuing to grow. You and I have talked about this before, just growing and um, becoming the best version of yourself mm-hmm. for as long as you're here, right? We all have room to grow and evolve. And I think a part of, again, a part of our purpose is to, is to grow in that space and in that place and become the best version of yourself. Sure. Sure. And so in your journey, um, I've been privileged enough to see you continuing to become exactly that, the best version of yourself. But as we close out, I want to go back to that first story you told us, that moment where um, your peers perhaps just couldn't see you, right? They saw they saw Hershey. They saw Hershey kiss into them. Um, it wasn't quite the delectable thing, the sweet thing, the wonderful thing um, that being a woman of color, a black woman, uh, truly is. If we could go back to that moment, um, and if you were that little girl again, what would you tell her now that you couldn't tell her then? You are exactly who you should be, beautiful brown skin and all. Lynn Epps, thank you so much for joining us on things we don't discuss. And thank you for more than just your candor, um, your willingness to share the pain, uh, but more importantly, the perseverance. Um, I'm glad that you're helping me as we make a commitment to tell the stories that we don't hear enough. If you don't know it, you know it now, I'm telling. Thank you for joining us on things we don't discuss.